The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. And I want to talk with you today about the overflowing life. That is the life that has more than enough. And last week when we talked about power in prayer, we talked about this idea of an overflowing life as it relates to power. Because Paul over and over prays for strength and for power. We saw in Ephesians 3 verse 16 that Paul says, I pray that God would strengthen you in your inner being. And today we're going to continue on that idea of the overflowing life, but not just a power that overflows from you. How about a life where there's fulfillment that overflows out of you? A life where there's peace and contentment. There's more than enough peace and contentment to go around, more than enough satisfaction. A life that's not dry or empty, a life that's not clawing or craving or lacking. Last week, uh, we laughed together. I'm so glad it's a shared experience when we talked about Costco and how crazy it can be to go there on a weekend and literally get run over by these shopping carts that are loaded with hundreds of pounds of goods. And and you'd think that, you know, uh, Costco shoppers, some of them are, are starving by the way they drive in the parking lot and by the way they run around with their carts. We laughed about that insanity. And really, it's a picture of the world at large, isn't it? Isn't that a little bit of a, a picture of humanity that uh, people are, you know, honking horns and shoving others out of the way and cutting people off and stepping on each other's toes because there's a limited amount of resources and we're all out to get enough for ourselves, you see this especially in, in the larger cities like New York City. Uh, everyone's in a rush. Everyone's off to advance their career, to go about their own life, to further themselves. It's kind of like a crowd of animals. If you've ever seen on National Geographic or PBS, sometimes in the Saharan Desert, there will be a watering hole. A place of water out in this huge desert and the animals arrive and when the herd gets there, they're all knocking each other out of the way. And if you're a little animal, you're going to have a hard time getting up there because there's a limited amount of water and everyone is shouldering each other out of the way to get. And this is the world we live in, not just to get stuff. It's not just stuff that we're thirsty for. The reason we're all cutting each other off and elbowing each other out of the way is because we're really thirsty for fulfillment. We're thirsty for satisfaction. We're we're thirsty for security, to know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be provided for. And we're all trying to fill ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We're all desert travelers scrambling to find some pure water, some real water, some crystal clear, refreshing water for our souls. And so we drink the water of possessions and it leaves us thirsty. So we drink a little more water of possessions and it leaves us thirsty. So we drink a little more water of possessions. 
We drink the water of romance with that beautiful person that you're attracted to. And it is so fulfilling as you drink in that, that love and that romance and that dating and that courting. And, and eventually, no matter how great the marriage is or how great the relationship is, you realize this does not fulfill every thirst that's in me. We drink the water of accomplishment. And for many of us, we spend our whole lives drinking more and more of this water of accomplishment. And somewhere along the way, for too many people at the very end, they realize, I'm still thirsty. I heard an interview with Jay Leno recently. You know, he retired from his night show. And Jay Leno, who, uh, as a car person, I happen to know, you probably know, has one of the largest collections of classic cars in the world, has warehouses full of them, has four full-time staff who exercise the cars. You know, that is, when you have a classic car, it can't just sit. You got to start the engine. You got to keep the rubber seals loose and stuff. So he has four full-time people who exercise the cars and give them just enough to stay in good shape and not put too many miles on them. And when Jay Leno was being interviewed about the end of his career, you know, regardless of every other fulfillment that he wants in life is available to him. And he said more or less, now that I'm too old and they're kicking me out of this, my life's over. There's nothing else to look forward to. Why? Because, well, that's the water he's been drinking, and it's a water that leaves a person thirsty. Every satisfaction, it seems, is a false satisfaction, a temporary satisfaction. Every satisfaction that is except one. When Jesus Christ walked on earth, he called himself the living water. He said, whoever drinks of all these other waters, they'll be thirsty again. They'll need to drink again. But whoever drinks of of me, Well, that person will will well up a spring of life. That person will never thirst again. Drink from Jesus. Continue to, to fill yourself with Jesus and you will never thirst again. In God's word today, we see that prayer connects the thirsty parts of me to the only source of living water in the universe. Did you know that prayer prayer is not just some, you know, religious say, here's your rosary thing, you know, go through all these beads and do this routine. And more than that, prayer is not just a practical thing. You know, we're so practical as Americans. Well, what's it do? Well, I I pray for these things and I get these things and and praying for things is part of prayer. Absolutely. But it's, it's not just practical in that sense. It is a filling of the thirsts in your inner person. Last week when we looked at uh, Ephesians 3.16 where Paul says, I pray that God would strengthen you in your inner person. We looked at this kind of dichotomy, these two pieces that you have an inner person that no one else sees except for God. And you have an outer person that everyone sees. And our outer person is what we tend to focus on. And in our prayers, most of us are focused on things that affect our outer person. But, but Paul's very concerned in his prayers with the inner person, which God calls your soul, your spirit, your heart. This is your inner person. 
great description of this at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, though outwardly we are wasting away. He's about to describe your body and my body as a tent versus a permanent house. He says your body's a tent. No matter how many repairs you make on it, it will wear out. Eventually the roof is just going to leak. It's going to wear out. Your body's a tent. And Paul says, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And that inner person is where Paul focuses most of his prayers. I wonder where are you thirsty in your inner person? Are you thirsty for some peace? Are you thirsty for some rest? Are you thirsty for some fulfillment? Are you thirsty for security? Things are just so unstable in your life. You just thirst for some security. You know, one spiritual skill that we can pray for is, God, give me eyes to see when I think I want a new car, what that thirst is actually in my soul. What am I actually thirsting for? That's a gift of grace to realize it's not the car I need. It's that I'm discontent in this other area, or it's that I, I need to find my fulfillment in God. And, and you can pray that for yourself. God, open the eyes of my heart that I'd see what I'm actually thirsting for. And maybe you can pray that right now as we go through this message. God, open the eyes of my heart that I'd know where I'm thirsty in my soul, that I'd look to you to to be my living water. So here's a question for you. Do you believe that God can actually fulfill the thirsty parts of you? Do you believe that? Because I think at the very root issue here, most of us don't. And this is kind of the key thing of you and God relating You know, we get saved by grace, not because of what we've done. We accept Christ as our Savior. We say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Will you be my Savior? From that moment on, where there was a separation between you and God, if you've prayed that prayer just in a heart of faith, you don't have to get the words perfect. It's just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to be my Savior. Scripture says that before that, you're separated from God. And once you pray that prayer from the heart, you're connected back to God. So now the access is there to find your fulfillment in him. And it's up to you every day to choose. Am I going to find my fulfillment in God or am I going to find my fulfillment in my career, in my body, in my image, in my stuff, in my relationships, or in God? And you may remember all the way back in the book of Genesis when the story of God and humanity began that Satan came to Eve And he said, Eve, you know, God's given you this great garden with all this organic fruit and stuff. It's really nice. It's really cool. But, you know, Eve, and and Eve had everything she needed to be fulfilled. But, you know, Eve, there's this one thing that God said you shouldn't touch. It's the knowledge of good and evil. See, before that, Eve didn't know evil. Wouldn't that be great to not know evil? But Satan got her with the curiosity. He said, wouldn't you want to, don't you want to know about that? God's holding out on you. He's not really fulfilling you. The Garden of Eden, come on. You got to try this. You got to fulfill yourself. And to this day, Satan, who is a deceiver, 
has most of humanity thinking that real fulfillment is found outside of God. And it's true for many of us who've even placed our faith in Christ. We still think in our heart of hearts, if we're really honest, yeah, God's good and he's loving and I'm glad he saved me, but real fulfillment is found in the things he says are off limits. Real fulfillment is found in this other thing, not in God himself. So, so as we start today's study, we answer that question for yourself in your heart. Do I really believe that whenever there's a thirst in my soul, that God's the one who can fulfill it? And again, as we're studying prayer, if you don't believe that, you can pray that God would help you believe it. God, will you help me really believe that in my heart of hearts? Not my little kid Sunday school self who gives the right answer, but my real self that no one else sees. Will you help me to really believe that you can fulfill every thirst that is in me? He is able to do that. Well, today we're continuing this study of Paul's prayers in the book of Ephesians. And um, this is week four, and I, I know for many of you, you've, you've been letting me know this series has been just awesome in your life, and it's been awesome in my life. Paul's prayers are just so loaded. They're incredible. If you've missed any of the series so far, I'd encourage you to go to our website and listen to the first three parts. Uh, we can also get those on CD for you if you'd prefer. In week one, we talked about building a base. In this series, we are growing our prayer life. We're taking our prayer life to the next level. question is, do you have a prayer life to take to the next level? Is your prayer life just limited to praying when you get a flat tire or praying before meals? Do you really have a prayer life? And if not, we give you the tools in week one to build a base for really practical things you can do to start having a consistent prayer life. That might sound intimidating. It might sound like, oh, that doesn't work for me. I'm telling you, if you listen to that message, it's all based on God's word. If you look at those four tools, they will help you. You can start building a base prayer life. Week two, we looked at the Holy Spirit as our coach, as the one who strengthens us in prayer. When we don't know what to pray, he prays for us. He strengthens us as we pray. Last week, we talked about power prayers. We saw that uh, Paul, about nine times in these little two short prayers in Ephesians, talks about power and strength. And, and we encouraged you as you left, remember, did, how many of you took the one-week power challenge? That's it? Come on, how many of you took the one-week power challenge? All right, guys, okay. Do, do I need to pull that message out and re-preach it? I'm not kidding. Well, if you missed it, it's on our website. And, and, you know, it's easy. We get so caught up in the busyness of life. I know I'm even preaching these messages. And sometimes two or three days later, I'll think, man, you've been praying, but I forgot about the power prayer thing. Uh, when, when we do the next installment of this, we're going to give you a card that summarizes what we've learned in Ephesians. But I just want to encourage you guys, these power prayers. I know many of you told me that through the week you were praying for your spouse. God, would you strengthen her in her inner person? And the change that we see in ourselves and in our loved ones, when we just pray that simple power prayer that Paul prayed, God, would you strengthen her in her inner person? Would you strengthen my kids in their inner person? 
I was thinking about this uh, night before last, I was walking Zoe to bed, and often when I pray for her while I'm walking her down, I'll pray that as she grows older, that God will protect her physically and emotionally and spiritually. And I, I realized as I was praying that, that that's a great prayer and I should keep praying that. But also as I've been meditating on this, these texts, I realized that, you know, as much as I want her to just always be protected, and I, I do need to pray for that, it's really going to be some of the difficulties in life that are going to shape her character and make her the incredible woman of God that I pray she will become. There are no amazing super Christians out there who haven't gone through really hard things. And we're in a fallen world. There's no such thing as a life that doesn't go through hard things. And I realized, man, you know, I need to keep praying that, that God will protect her in all the right ways and, and guide her life. But I got to start praying the power prayer for her too. Lord, strengthen her in her inner being. That when those trials do come, that she'll love you, that she'll turn to you. Strengthen her in her inner being. So if you missed the power prayer challenge last week, listen to that one on our website. Start praying that for your loved ones, for every believer that you care about, for your spiritual leaders. Hope you were able to start on your power prayers. Paul's focus in all these prayers, as I was just describing about my prayers for Zoe, Paul's focus is less about our external circumstances than our prayers usually are. And his focus is more about the inner person, that in our heart and in our soul, we'd be strengthened, we'd be encouraged, and that in that inner person, our eyes would be opened up to see how much God loves us and to grasp his love for us. And that's our text today. Let's look together at Ephesians 3, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, And I pray that you... Being rooted and established in love. In other words, none of this is possible without the love of God expressed at the cross. None of this is possible without that foundational relationship in Christ. You trust in him. That is your foundation. You're rooted there. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's people. We'll touch on this later. This is not a solo effort. This is something that happens with other believers. Power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 19, and I pray that you would, I'm just helping you out there because Paul's got all these phrases, okay? Verse 19, I, I also pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here's our first lesson from Paul's prayer in our text today. Pray to experience... Every dimension of Christ's love in every area or pocket of your life. We've got all these different areas of our lives, right? Uh, we've got our work life. We've got our personal life. We've got our family life. We have our, our, our health life, our church life, our community life, our hobby life. 
And you can pray, God, I want to experience your love in every area of my life. Not just my church life. Not even just my salvation. But in every area of my life, I want to experience your love. And not only that, but this love is multidimensional. It's not a, it's not a flat, one-dimensional love. It's, this love has all these different components to it. You know what the difference is between three-dimensional and two-dimensional? When you take art classes, two-dimensional is the whole category of drawing, painting. Anything that's on a flat piece of paper is two-dimensional. And you can do a lot of art there, but you generally see it from, you know, one perspective. Three-dimensional is sculpture. A three-dimensional piece of artwork has length and height and depth. And a good sculpture, you can walk around it and you can get higher and lower and you can see beauty from 360 degrees. And Paul says here, and it's, it's difficult language for us, but he says God's love is like that. And most of you only know it in a flat two-dimensional sense. But there's so much more to it. And when I pray for you, I pray that God would strengthen you in your inner person, that he'd give you the power, because you don't have it in yourself, to see that his love is so much bigger and so much more textured. There's so much more to it than you realize. And not only is there so much more to it, but all these different parts of it are available in all the different parts of your life, in your work life. There's more of God's love for you to know. In your relationships, there's more of God's love for you to know. In your finances, there's more of God's love and blessing and freedom for you to know. And Paul says, when I pray for you, I don't just pray that your circumstances will go great. And again, that's okay if you want to pray that, go for it. But what I really pray for, what's really valuable, what really matters, is that that in your heart, God would give you power to grasp How great his love for you is every second of the day. When you're driving, when you're showering, when you're putting your kids to bed, when you're planning for your retirement, when you're running out of retirement, whatever it is, it's a circumstance that you can know the greatness of God's love. So let's look at this verse 18b to 19a. I pray that you may have power to grasp, that is to get a hold of all these dimensions of the love of Christ and to know, that's the Greek word gnosko. And it is different from our word know in that it is not merely a mental knowledge. You know, later in the text, he's going to say it surpasses knowledge. How does he pray for us to know something that is beyond knowledge? Well, this Greek word know is a different word than that word knowledge. Gnosko is to know something from experience. You can read about riding a bicycle and know about it. But until you've gotten on a bike and you've learned how, you don't know, gnosko, how to ride a bike. And once you gnosko know how to ride a bike, you don't need to memorize a manual on it. We can just throw you on a bike. And even if you haven't ridden one in five or ten years, if your leg muscles will still hold up, you can take off, right? Once you gnosko it, it's in you. And, and that's the kind of knowing that Paul's talking about here. Experience the more than enough love of God in every area of your life. You can pray for this. You should pray for this. Pray this for your spouse. 
Pray this for your kids. Pray this for me, please. Because we start to realize after just a week of meditating on this part, oh God, there's so many areas of my life where I don't really know the fullness of your love. You can experience God's assuring love when you're at the hospital. You can experience his comforting love when you've been laid off from work. You can experience the companionship of his love when you're alone and rejected. Most of us know God's love in just a few of these circumstances, but we haven't even begun to really get to know how full it is in every circumstance of our life. I wonder, in what areas of your life have you most experienced God's love? Maybe for you it was your, it was your salvation moment. I know we've got lots of brothers and sisters in this church who, whether it was alcohol or another addiction, had really hit rock bottom. (laughs) Some were in jail cells, some were on their ways there when they really realized, God, I need you. And God's love invaded their life. And since then, they're just a totally different person. They know God's love in their salvation and in their transformation. Where do you... Where have you most experienced God's love? Maybe it's in your marriage that your spouse has just really been to you a picture of God's love. Maybe it's in your past that you had experienced God's love. Second question, in what areas of your life have you not yet experienced God's love? When I said marriage, you think, no, that's not really a picture of God's love. In what areas have you not yet experienced his love? And you can pray this. God, I want to know every dimension of your love. I want to see all the different angles of it, its height, its depth, all of it in my marriage. Lord, I, I, I've sensed your love in my salvation. And when I get alone with you and pray in my devotions, I sense your love there. But I, I want to learn your love. I want to gnosko it. I want to experience it in my career. God, I've got all these other areas, but when it comes to my finances, I'm kind of a control freak because I'm afraid of what might happen. I want to experience your love there. In what areas have you not yet experienced God's love? How about the area of forgiveness? How about his patience with you? How about accepting that you are fully, unconditionally loved no matter what you do? How about believing That God's not a distant father who doesn't care about you, but he actually wants you. He invites you. He pursues you. You say, God, help me. I want to know your love like that. Most Christians only know one or two dimensions of Christ's love in one or two pockets of their life. Believe that there's more. I'm telling you there's more. And praise God for what you do know and what I do know and what I've experienced, but there's more. Paul wouldn't pray this unless there's more. And we can ask God to help us know more of his love in more areas of our life. I'm just going to mention a couple of these dimensions and we'll keep moving on. Here's one dimension of God's love, the dimension of time. Do you know God's love in your past and present and future? Do you know that God's love fully, fully covers everything in your past? 
That even when things were difficult and it seemed like God wasn't there, that he does work all things together for good. Do you know that about your past? How about your future? When you plan for the future or worry about the future, do you know God's love there? That he's a good father who has gone ahead of you, who's already in the future and is providing for you there. Do you, do you know that love? Have you experienced it? How about in the presence you know that God's love is a regenerating, powerful love right now in the present today. He can hold you together where your life would otherwise fall apart. He can sustain you where your relationships are strained or broken. So we're just scratching the surface on one dimension, okay, the time dimension. God's love is in all of them, and there's more of it to know in all of them. Here's another dimension, the domains of your life. An author I enjoy, I think he's passed away now, his name's Tom Patterson. He describes five life domains. You've got your family domain, your church domain, your community, your career, and your personal domain. Do do you know God's love in each of those five domains? I I know for me, because the way I was raised... With a, it's a biblical principle, but it was overemphasized where I grew up, and that is that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're separated from God before we come to faith in Christ. But Scripture clearly teaches after we've believed in Christ, we're new creations. We have a new life. Sin doesn't define us anymore. Well, the Christian circles I grew up in was you're still a sinner. You're still wicked. You're still evil. A whole lot of that. To, to the point that the idea of Actually believing God loves me, how could he love me? You know, it was just so drilled into me that you're not worthy, that you're a sinner, that you're evil. And that was all true before the cross. It's not true anymore because I'm a new creation. And so for me, of those five domains, you know, um, the, as 2013 ended and as I was praying about my life and looking at everything and, and I thought about those five domains, I realized, man, you know, I really know God's love in my family domain. I really know God's love in my church domain, which for me is also my career and community domain. So that's kind of handy for me. It's kind of simple. But in my personal domain, man, you know, there's a guy in our church, Bruce Napier. A lot of times when he takes me to lunch or we grab lunch together, he'll, he'll look me in the eyes and he'll say, God, John, how are you experiencing the love of God in your life today? Oh, man. Well, I can tell you about all the great things God's doing at the church and in my family and in my career, but when it comes to my personal domain, this is an area where I have a lot to learn about the dimensions of God's love. But you know what? When, when you pray for that, God starts to open it up. And you start to realize, wow, you know, these different ways God wired me, these different quirks that I'm so nerdy and I like to read, that I like cars so much. I don't have to be ashamed of those things. They're not stupid. They're, he loves me, you know? They're part of me. And, and, and that's for me. It's just one of those dimensions where I have yet to fully experience the love of God. So, so what are they for you, I wonder? And, and as we go from here today, will you start praying that for yourself and for the people you love? God, would you help them to know all the dimensions of your love in every area of their life. Paul prays that for the Ephesians. Next, he prays that they would be filled 
to overflowing with the fullness of God. You can pray to be filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. See this at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's kind of poetic. It's kind of beautiful. What does it actually mean? Well, here's a little bit of what it means. The double use of two Greek words for filled to the brim gives the idea of overflowing and more than enough. It's the same root word, but Paul uses the noun and the verb. He doubles them up. This is the idea of filled to more than enough. If you've ever had a young child pour you a glass of water or juice, you know what filled to overflowing looks like. Because it gets about three quarters of the way there and you say, okay, that's enough. And it keeps going and it starts to overflow out of the top. And you learn really quickly that, you know, you want to let them have that experience, but you tell them at about a third, okay, that's good. And then, and then they stop at right at the top. Filled to overflowing more than enough. Scripture describes all through the Old Testament and the New that each of us is looking for water to fill us. And you think of the uh, audience for Scripture living in a desert climate where there's these occasional wells. And God talks over and over about what well are you drinking out of? What kind of water are you filling yourself with? Here's what he says in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. He says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. Okay, so picture it. These people of God are in a desert. There's a spring of living water. First thing they did wrong is they walked away from that. Secondly, they went and they dug their own cisterns. Okay, we're going we're gonna to dig some cisterns so when it rains, we'll have our own water. But they're broken cisterns and they can't hold water. See, we get hung up on the word sins and we think, oh, God hates us. He's condemning us. No, God's saying anything God calls a sin, he tells you that in love because he wants what's best for you. And he says, people, you've gone wrong in two ways. One, there's a spring of living water available to you and you, you abandon it. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two, you dug your own cisterns to catch the rainwater and they're broken and they don't catch the rainwater. And as a result, you're thirsty and you're parched. And as a loving God, I'm telling you, here's where you've gone wrong. Man, does that describe us? Does that describe us? Here's this spring of living water that Jesus says is available inside of us, but we're out digging these other cisterns. And so Paul says, pray. Pray, first of all, that you'd know the fullness of God, and then pray that you'd find your fulfillment in him, that he would be overflowing in your life because he's the water that you're drinking. Are any, uh, is anyone else in here OCD that you always like your fuel gauge to be on full? I love that, man. I love, you know, anytime I'm uh, over near Costco, even if I'm at like three quarters, I just like to top it off. I just love seeing it on full. And, and that's what the idea of this word is filled to the measure of fullness. It's the full mark. It'd be like having a V8 powered car and every time you get in, it's on full. You never have to fill it up. It's just always full. It's perpetually full God wants your life to be like that, but filled with the fullness of God. 
These are things to pray for, for the people you love. God, would you fill her up with the fullness of you? Fill him up with the fullness of you. You see, most of us are empty, not because God is insufficient, but because we've filled ourselves with lesser things. We've dug these other cisterns. We've had a legitimate thirst in our soul. And that's an important thing for you to know. When you're struggling with pornography, when you're struggling to tell a lie, when you're struggling you know, to be honest or you're struggling with greed, it's coming from a legitimate need in your soul, that desire is. And in that moment, you can pray, God, instead of looking to this false thing to fulfill me, I want to be filled with you. I don't have the power to do this in myself. That's why Paul says, I pray that God would give you the power to be filled to the fullness of God. We need his power. God, will you give me your power to find that fulfillment in you? Whatever it is that's, that's driving me to look to this other thing. Maybe it's a thing that's outright morally wrong, or maybe it's just a thing that I know, hey, you know, that new thing isn't going to make me happy. Only God can. God, will you fill me to overflowing with you? Will you be my more than enough? We can pray that for each other. I'm going to skip now to two closing applications for you as we go from here today. Most of us are empty, not because God is insufficient, but because we've filled ourselves with lesser things. Do you know that your body is 80% water? 80%. Do you know that without water, you wouldn't be able to swallow, you wouldn't be able to blink, you wouldn't be able to digest food? If our body is supposed to be 80% water, how much of our soul is supposed to be saturated with the living water? And how many of us are walking around with these dehydrated, shriveled up hearts? Because we're drinking out of broken cisterns and we're drinking water that leaves us thirsty. I was reading about lepers this last week. How lepers, leprosy doesn't actually kill your body. All it does is remove your sense of pain. And because lepers don't have a sense of pain, a lot of them stop blinking. Because it's actually a pain reflex that tells your eyelid to blink. So because they stop blinking, many of them, their eyes dry up, and that's why they go blind. When we have a pain in our life, when we have a need in our life, it's a signal from our body when it's physical pain that an area needs attention. And when we have a thirst in our soul, it's a signal. There's a part of my soul that needs to drink the living water. I've heard a lot of different weight loss experts say that very often in our culture, because food is so available, when we think we're hungry and we eat, we're actually thirsty. That a whole lot of the time we're thirsty, but we don't know our signals very well. And there's a bag of potato chips that have been designed to be appealing to me. And so instead of drinking, which is what our body needs, we, we eat more salt, which makes us need more water. And then we think we're, but we don't realize we're thirsty, so we eat more. 
And so as a result, the body gets very unhealthy because it's just not drinking enough water. Man, what a picture of our hearts, how true this is of our souls. We thirst for God. And we've tasted him in parts of our lives, but there's all these other things that we keep eating instead. Let's pray like Paul. Oh God, help us to stop filling our souls with the salts and the sugars that only leave us thirstier. God, would you give me the power to fill myself on you? I want to be filled to overflowing with you. God, will you help us fill up on you? We have more than enough of you. So here's two takeaways for you this week. First, who will you pray for this week? I don't want to be legalistic on you guys, but I hope to see a few more hands next week, okay? Who will you pray for this week to experience more of the love of God in every area of their life? And we said this last week, you can start by praying that for yourself. God, when I think of you as a heavenly father, I know I don't really understand your love in that area of my life. Lord, will you help me to understand all the dimensions of your love in every area of my life? Lord, for my, my, this person I love, I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know why they're a little unhappy lately. I'm not sure what it is, but I know they have a thirsty soul and that you're the living water. That's the second thing we pray. Who will you pray for this week? to be filled with the more than enough of God's fullness in their inner person. Again, if you're like me, you can start by praying that for yourself. And then just go to the people you love the most and work your way out from there. Would you stand together with me? We'll close in prayer today. Father, I know we are just, we're just, you know, scratching the surface here. But Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters because I know their lives are busy and they've got so many things on their minds and in their hearts and in their schedules. And Lord, there's just so much noise in our society. It is very hard for us to contemplate you. And so Lord, I just want to pray right now that as my brothers and sisters go from here, would you give them the power, supernatural power, that they would grasp And that they would know through experience every dimension of your love in every area of their lives. Lord, I pray that they would know it in their marriages. That they know every dimension of your love in their finances. That they know every dimension of your love in their past. That they know every dimension of your love in their view of themselves. They're not who their parents said or didn't say. Who you say. Pray, Lord, that my brothers and sisters would know every dimension of your love in every area of their lives. Lord, you see our dry and parched souls. You see the dry cisterns that we've been drinking dirt out of and how thirsty we are for you. And you love us and you want to see us totally fulfilled and saturated. So, Lord, would you fill us to the fullness, the full measure of God in us. That you, the living water, would be what we drink for every thirst in our souls and that we'd have overflowing lives as a result. Our lives would 
overflow with your peace and contentment and your power and your strength, your joy, your love, your self-control. None of it coming from us, but just an overflowing, a spring that wells up in us. Lord, do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.